0: Colossians 4, and we're going to pick up right around verse 2. The scene is Paul is in prison, and he's writing a letter to a church he's never seen before, but have grown to love them with the pastor's heart. He is close to finishing this letter, but he feels the need to impress upon them some instructions. There are some things he wants them to know about. And so far, we've considered Paul's instructions on the importance of having Christ at the center of all relationships, especially the Christian family. Because in order to have true success in living a full and complete life, the family must have Christ at the helm with everyone relying upon God. Being disciplined while holding to the faith will help in the time of trouble in a fallen, sin-filled world But preparation is required in order to live it out. There's some things that we must do in order to live our lives in a way that pleases God. There are some steps that we need to take. And we need to learn that right motives dictate our preparations and preparations help Us in taking the right course of actions, which lead to success that honors and glorifies God. So now, considering our text for this morning, let's read Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would Use your word to speak to us where we are. We pray for clarity. We pray for understanding. We pray that even the little children will be able to gather your truth. We pray for the one who do not know you that today might be the day of salvation. We pray that you would draw with your drawing power and may your spirit fill us up. We might be ready to leave here as a changed people to obey your word and to uh, uh, come with you, Lord God, so that we might also work together, one with another, being guided by your spirit according to your word. Help us, Lord, as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is obviously challenging his audience to pray. But a question that I have for you is what motivates you to pray? What motivates you to get down on your knees and pray and look to God? In verses Two through six, the main two areas Paul wants his listeners to know about is prayer and Christian living. And in verse two, we are beginning to see the instructions on prayer. So the Colossians, Paul wants them to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What is, what is Paul trying to say when he say, continue steadfastly? It is to be persistent. And in the original, these two words means to persevere in a devoted way. This is what Paul is instructing these Christians to do. The most. Uh, the trust. Uh, and. Truly. The people must trust and give themselves over to God in prayer. And so, therefore, this means that they ought to be praying with a mind to honor Christ. Now, the question is, does this mean that they are to be praying every minute of the day? Right? No, because we won't get anything done. There would be no work. Children won't. Get the pamphlets changed, you know. Um, food won't be on the table. But 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 what he's saying is that prayer must be a part of everyday life. It's an attitude of prayer. We must be in a posture of prayer. And so, as we live, we must continue. In an outward devotion to God in prayer. It means to persevere in prayers to God. And that doesn't mean when we pray, we lose our ability to think. When we pray together, we are technically attaching ourselves to God in fellowship with one another. He says, continue. Steadfastly, meaning that believers show their faithfulness and allegiance to the one and only God. They are engaged with the things of God. Paul instructed these Christians on how to become engaged with the things of God, which in this case is prayer. He instructed them to be persistent and devoted. So does that describe us as a church? When we look at our prayer meeting, does that describe our prayer lives? Do you have an unbalanced prayer life where you are either strong in your personal prayers or devotional prayers, but weak in corporate prayers or vice versa? You see, both are necessary. The enemy is not going to bother us if we're comfortable with being lazy, with not praying. With an, un- with, with an balanced perspective. So when we pray together for one another and pray in our own devotional time for ourselves and for others, only then will we have a strong relationship with God. It's not heavily one-sided for us, you see. But a balanced prayer life helps us to consider Others before ourselves so that we may be conscious of the needs of others. And so when we pray, we must consider others if we don't fulfill both our obligation to pray for one another together and individually for ourselves and others. We are neglecting our obligation to serve one another. This ultimately leads to a spiritually poor church with the ministry being ineffective or the ministry not being as effective as it could be. You see, all of us must put our hands to the plow. We all must push. We all have an obligation. We all have responsibility. And Paul is not trying to, um, have the church to feel bad about where they are, he's simply calling them up. Wherever they are, he's simply saying, come up higher. Let us do what God has called us to do. Let us check our rear views and blind spots that we might do all that is pleasing and honorable to God. And so, This ultimately leads to our responsibility. And we see this in the life of the prophet in his persistence to pray when he said, Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, 23, he says, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good in the right way. The life of the early church was centered around prayer. But as, you, as many, of, many of you have probably experienced, is that one of the places within all of the churches that is uh, not attended as much is the prayer meeting, corporate prayer. And so, But what we see in the life of the early church is something different. For example, in Acts 1 verse 14, it's recorded saying, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. It sounds like continue steadfastly, right? Devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Then in that same uh, book, in Acts 2.42, we see them practicing the same thing. There it states, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And again, in Acts 21, verse five, Luke stated that when our days there were ended. We departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach. We prayed. So the early church was serious about praying together when they Met, they understood that this is war. Right? This is war. The enemy does not want us to pray. And so, therefore, he allows us to just go about life because we're not opposing him in the war room. We can do our most damage. We get down on our knees, humble ourselves, and take everything to God in prayer. In other words, if we are soldiers, we must use the weapons that God has given us. We cannot use natural means to fight spiritual warfare. And so we will find ourselves... In life, and in a disadvantage, if we don't utilize the opportunity to pray, so the early church was serious. What I thought was interesting about uh, this particular verse was Luke thought it was necessary to add that the children was there also. I thought that was interesting that. The early church was so serious about prayer, they wanted the family to be all together. He mentioned that the men were together with their wives and their children. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. It's encouraging to see the family fighting together in prayer. And so... The Holy Spirit thought that it was important for us to know this, that we're to have these little ones listening. They're learning. They're looking. What example we have, the 18 years that we have them, what examples do we want to lay down for them? What kind of foundation do we want them to have? We want them to be regulars with understanding that they can go down on their knees in the time of trouble and ask God for help. And in the same time, when God is good, they can say, praise the Lord. The word of God provides us with the right and wrong motives for prayer. For example, it teaches us how things hinders us from having an effectual prayer life. Our motives will always reveal our success. When we look at our time, our talents, our treasures. That they, they will reveal to us what we like and what we enjoy the most. And so, this is important. Things like sin, Disobedience, selfishness, and faithlessness are all things that lead to prayers being unanswered. In contrast, unanswered prayers, to unanswered prayers, things like humility, obedience, righteousness, persistence, and faith all lead to an effective prayer life. And a familiar passage of scripture implies and teaches this concept. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, there the text says, God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and help me pray, right? Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. When we pray, God listens. Spurgeon describes it like this, and I quote, by running and breathing yourselves every day, you are The fitter to run in a race, so the oftener you come into God's presence, the greater confidence and freedom and enlargement it will bring. No doubt, by praying, we learn to pray. And the more we pray, the oftener we can pray, and the better we can pray. He who prays by fits and starts is never to obtain that effectual, fervent prayer which availeth much. Prayer is good, the habit of prayer is better, but the spirit of prayer is the best of all. It is the spirit of prayer that without ceasing, and this can never be acquired by the man who ceases to pray, unquote. Not only does Paul state that believers ought to be devoted in their prayers, but they must also be watchful. In other words, we ought to be like a watchman on the wall. You see, the watchman in Israel was the person that was positioned at the highest peak of the city wall with the responsibility of warning the people of dangerous oppositions. They were there also to alarm the people when someone might bring an important message. In addition, this individual was authorized to watch over the pastures, the vineyards and the sheep to guard against thieves found in the area. It was an important position. They were doorkeepers. There were the lookouts. I wonder if we were more prepared for 9 11 if those things would have really happened if the doorkeepers keepers were watching. We see the importance of that imagery. And likewise, we have a spiritual responsibility to be like watchmen on the wall for one another. So, in one sense, the prophets were the spiritual watch- watchmen who had the responsibility of warning the Israelites of God's punishment upon them and their enemies. And in another sense, as the church, we ought to watch out for one another as the family of God. As the family of God. For example, we should watch out because the danger of false teaching, because it causes divisions in the church. And so we must watch out. We must be listening. We must be on guard when we hear things that are not aligned with what the scripture teaches. Romans 16 verses 17 and 18, Paul states, I appeal to you brothers to watch out. For those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, he says, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the, the hearts of the naive. Paul. Paul reminds these Christians to beware of false doctrine. We must be on God for anything that will divide us. Listen again to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He states, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. In other words, we must be watchful for there are a number of things that can cause separation. We should watch out for the danger of favoritism. That, too, causes division in each of our families, but also in the family of God. Right. And so you remember how it happened with Israel and Jacob's 12 sons. Right. There were. Division there. We also should watch out for the danger of temptation. We should watch out for the danger of neglecting God's word. Deuteronomy 4 9 states only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known. Here it is. Your children and your children's children. The scripture is reminding us about the legacy and responsibility we ought to leave to our children. And lastly, watch out for the danger of sinful behaviors. The Lord also teaches this. He teaches this um, in Matthew 26 and Luke 21. According to Matthew 26, verse 41, he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, right? Have strength to escape, that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And so not only should we be watchful, for the dangers within the Christian life, we must also be alert of the blessing. Uh, I think I read Luke 21, 36. Uh, Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray. Yeah, okay, I, I read that. I, read. I thought I didn't read it. Uh, but uh, not only should we be watchful for the dangers within the Christian life, but we must be alert. And in Micah seven, verse seven, he states, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. We should also look out for opportunities to honor and serve others. And how about being watchful also for opportunity to meet the needs of others. In Galatians 6 verse 10, the apostle states, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to one another, to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So it is necessary. Once again, again, Paul instructs these believers to continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful, he adds, with thanksgiving. So our focus here is with thanksgiving. In other words, be thankful. Being thankful is another form of being watchful. In this case, we are to be watchful, For opportunities to praise and thank God. In other words, we're not just going to assume that everything good is supposed to happen to us, but we will stop and recognize that it's only by the grace of God that I have anything that is good. And therefore, God deserves thanksgiving. He deserves it. Can you imagine a life that is full just giving thanks to God for everything that He has done in our lives? The only way we're going to be able to do that is through prayer. You see? And so prayer is necessary, prayer includes opportunities. To praise God for who he is, and thanksgiving allows for us to thank him for what he has done. For example, in Philippians 4 and 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Also, in Psalm 105, beginning at verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and judgments he have uttered. What have God done in your life that should have you to sing the beauty and the glory of God? When was the last time you sung because God was good? Where is your song? Right? That's the encouragement that we have to sing praises to our God because he is good. The scripture reminds us of that. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Next in verse three, after instructing his listeners on the necessity of an effective prayer life, Paul seeks their prayers for his own ministry. In verse three, he states at the same time. It's as if Paul is saying, me too, I need your prayer. So Paul is not so high. He's not saying, I'm an apostle. I don't need prayers. I'm past prayers. Right? So so Paul is, on the one hand, teaching people about prayer. And in the same breath, he says, don't forget about me. So no matter how weak you think you are, right, God has a role and a position and a place for you in the kingdom of God. No one is greater than anyone else. We all have roles to play, and we all must put our hands to the the plow. Paul says, pray for me too. Pray for us. Well, what, Paul? That God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Pray, pray for us. Paul is saying, pray for us, those who preaches the word of Christ, those who preaches the gospel. In Romans 15, 30, Paul asks for prayer stating, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. It's as if Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, I need you. I need you. Pray also, It says in 2 Corinthians 1.11, he seeks the prayers of the church saying, you also must help us by prayer so that we may give thanks on behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so when he says to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul is talking about evangelizing the loss. He's talking about preaching and teaching. And he says, this is the reason why I'm in prison. And as a church, we must pray for those who handle the word. We must always be thinking about them, about how God will use them. Why? Because we all share the burden. We see this in Paul's ministry when he states again in Ephesians 6, 19. He says, and also for me, the words pray for me, that the words may be given to me in my opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And so Paul is reminded of his own weakness and his own needs for prayer. And so in continuing on with this idea of evangelism, we see in verse four, he says that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul's desire is to make the word of God clear so that all could understand. He wants to be clear as to how he ought to share the word of Christ to all who listens. This is the reason why we act for your prayers, for all of our evangelistic opportunities that we have. For example, when Aaron sends out the email for us to pray for him and the workers who support the ministry at the abortion mill, Planned Parenthood, and Balboa Park, he's asking for us to come alongside him in Prayer, just as Paul suggests in verse four, which is to make the word of God clear and to know how to speak during the preaching of the gospel. We also want clarity within the message so that people might understand how they can come to know God. But in order for us to be successful, we must continue steadfastly in prayer with a readiness to serve. At the end of the day, God is the one who opens the door of opportunity for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who hear to be drawn to God by grace through faith. By grace through faith. And the amazing thing is that he can call men to himself whenever he's ready, even in the midst of enemies. And so that's another reason for us to pray. But what is the the Christian gospel? Maybe someone here today don't know the Lord and is not saved by grace through faith. What do we mean? Um, That simply means that because we are sinners, We are desperately in need of a savior. That means all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. Therefore, we need a mediator between us and God who is come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not come to be served, but he has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so that when someone exercises faith in him, whoever exercises faith in him, his death on the cross will pay for their sins from conception to the grave. He has said it is finished. Those who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection will have good news because one would be saved on the basis of their faith and in the works that he has done. And so salvation is dependent upon what we believe. And so, if you're here today, what do you believe? Who are you trusting in? Because uh, every, uh, every one of us will one day have to meet our maker. And he's either going to say in or out. And anyone who tried to stand on their own righteousness, the problem that you have is that the standard is perfection. Perfection. No one can meet the standard of perfection. So therefore, we need an advocate. We need a savior. And it comes in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's the angelion, the good news. It's because it's not dependent on merit or deserving, but it's because God is good. And anyone who exercises faith in him will be saved because of what he had done. He brought salvation so that we might be saved. And so. Verse five, next, Paul is now instructing his listeners on Christian living. Mainly this section is about witnessing for Christ. He begins in verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. In other words, Paul is saying Christians must live in ways that agree with the profession of their faith. We can, on the one hand, say that we believe in Christ, but then our lives, we live contrary to what we say we believe. Believe Our way of life must be consistent with our claims. If not, no one will believe us. People will say, you must be kidding me. You are living just like anybody else. Who are you to tell me about my life? What I'm trying to say is we can ruin our testimony. If we don't hold up. For living a life that honors and glorifies God. Now, we're not saying that we're, we're perfect, but we can at least say I messed up when we messed up. We don't want to cover it up. We can say I'm a sinner. I'm a beggar telling of the beggars where the bread is. I'm not the bread. I know someone who can save you like he saved me by his grace. Will you come with me? So he says, walk on, Christian. All Christians must be wise and must take full advantage of the opportunities we are given. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Sometimes we don't understand the business we are in. We don't understand what we have been called to. We've been bought with the price. We're not our own anymore. It's interesting that Paul sees himself as a prisoner of God. And anybody who knows uh, the goodness of God, that's the kind of imprisonment that I want for myself. Because I know that God is good in all that he does. And so, therefore, that means when we pay attention to ourselves and represent Christ at all times, we can live out Philippians 1.27 when it says, Oh, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that, Paul says, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. But then he adds, "You're to do it in all wisdom." We see this same idea in Ephesians 5:15 and16, when he says, "Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That means that we are to know the people who we are speaking to. We're to learn about them. We're to study. We're to know more. We're to understand so that we might know how to plant the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, walk in wisdom. And he says, walk in wisdom's wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So in towards outsiders, we see this idea in First Timothy 3 and 7 when he says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall in to disgrace, and to a snare of the devil. There's a high calling for those who are called into ministry. So how we behave in front of the world will have an effect on how we are able to communicate the gospel. We will either gain respect or not. Because sometimes we can disagree with people, but then they still respect us because we've treated them with gentleness and with love and with respect. You see, it's not about us, right? Scripture even raises or tells us us to come higher and tells us to even love our enemies. Love those who despitefully use you for my name's sake. High calling. God is calling us up. In other words, we're to live into what God have enabled us to live into. And so we're reminded to honor Christ, making the best use of our time. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet, Here's how, Paul says, do it with gentleness and respect. All right. Verse six, and we're done. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you are to answer each person. It's easy to get in arguments. It's easy to get in the argument. But Paul is saying, be gracious. In this verse, Paul seems to be concerned about how these Christians ought to live and be a witness for Christ. He really cares about how outsiders view the church. And so he says, let your speech, let your communication be gracious. So what that's telling me is that Christians doesn't have a right to talk to people any kind of way, especially in ways that are disrespectful, just because we believe we have the truth, right? Listen to Proverbs 10.32, it states, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked know what is perverse, all right? It sounds like what Jesus says, uh, it's not the outside that defiles the man, but it's what comes out of him. Right. And so if we are of Christ, then our words ought to be seasoned as such. We ought to have the mind of Christ. We ought to say it like Christ said it. And so. We also see Proverbs 15:1, where it says, "A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger." These are practical things we can do. So how we communicate will dictate how they respond. So he says, "Let your speech, let your communication be seasoned with salt. We can't let anything corrupt come from out of our mouths that might destroy our witness. We must be disciplined at all times. So many times the church is misrepresented by others who ought not even be calling themselves Christians because they constantly bring shame to the name of Christ. Paul is saying, watch your mouth. We must practice good behaviors and don't give up an opportunity to the devil because he will use anything to try to destroy us and our witness and to cause disunity within us. Paul says, therefore, let your speech always be gracious. So that you may know how you're to answer each person. So to answer each person rightly in all circumstances, we must depend upon God's grace. And the prayers of the church so that we might be ready to give all people the proper answer. However, we cannot do it without the church praying, often for the success of our efforts. And many cases, in many cases, we do a lot of things in our prayer meeting when we pray. We cover a lot of things. There's encouragement. In prayer, there's tears that are shed. There's confidence that grows because we're reminding ourselves of who God is. We're giving thanks. We're asking God for areas that we're weak in. We're we're laying everything down before the one who is able to change the outcome and the circumstances. And so if we have trouble, the scripture says, oh, taste and but if we're not being guided by the work of the Spirit, we can't have the kind of success we're capable of having. So the next time you hear a prayer request, please take it seriously. I'm not, not saying that we're not doing that. This is just a reminder And pray for the work of the ministry on the behalf of the church so that we might honor Christ together. And so knowing requires listening so that one's response might be informed and wise. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. Your word is efficacious. Your word. Do not return to you void. We pray that you would help us to apply your word as stated in the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that you would change us, help us to be what you have called us to be, help us to put off the flesh and to put on Christ, that we might honor you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.